the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast for our Group of Five Deep Dive. I'm your co-host, Mike Calabrese, joined as always by the Action Network's Mike Ionello. We are coming off an immaculate 4-0 start in Week 0. Reminds me of the line from Alec Baldwin in The Departed. We looked at all possible candidates. You have an immaculate record. Some people don't trust a guy with an immaculate record. I do. I have an immaculate record. Nothing says momentum like hitting a Vanderbilt bet when they win by 53 points, but we're not going to belabor the point. People are listening because this is a week one podcast. We're finally here. The appetizer portion of the college football season is over. We got the full slate. And here's what we're going to do for you in this show. We're going to go through our G5 heroes of the week every single week, giving shout outs to players, coaches, officials, administrators, anyone who made our gambling dreams come true. Then we're going to get into our best bets. The G5 high five round robin. We're going to give you five picks. Use them however you want. You know, sprinkle them into parlays, put them in a round robin, tag them on to some of your favorite bets. And then we're going to close out the show with our underdog money line parlay. INLO, is there any particular game that you've really been chomping at the bit to throw down a bet really for months leading up to week one? It's just all the games. Trying to decide which G5 teams are going to get the doors blown off them, and then which you know it could be frisky. And this week one, especially, there's going to be these games where the G5 team is you know within a touchdown of an SEC team in the midway through the second quarter, and you're like, ooh. So it's just it's just finding which one is that going to be. I can be your hero, baby. You can it's tricky here for my hero of the week on our podcast because I could just go to you because the fact that you picked UConn and that they were not only covering the whole way, but they were flirting with maybe, you know, taking the lead, winning that game against Utah state. I know they had an injury at quarterback. So huge kudos to you, but I'm actually going to go with the head coach. here. are going to go with Seth Luttrell. Listen, North Texas was banging on the door to be involved in the conversation for the New Year's Six four or five years ago when they beat Arkansas down at Fayetteville. Latrell looked like a rising star in the, the coaching ranks, and he's kind of been treading water the last few years. They go six and six in the regular season last year. They end up losing in the bowl game. It just seems like he needed some positive momentum right out of the gate, and I love this for Latrell and the Mean Green. Emphatic win on the road in Conference USA play. I love it when a team can vary tempo. I knew that North Texas wanted to play fast. Yes, they were a run first team. But my concern was after a 0-0 first quarter that once the the offensive juices started flowing, that they were just going to keep putting up points and push over that, that closing total of 54. But here's what they did. In the first half, a 12-play drive, 19 seconds per play. Then they get a lead in the fourth quarter, 12 plays, 33 seconds per play. So able to take their foot off the accelerator, a hat tip to Seth Luttrell. They end up only scoring three points total in the fourth quarter, making it comfortable for me in that spot. So he's my G5 hero of the week. We've been joking about Austin Onney's age. I actually looked this up. I know he's old, old. So Austin Onney's birthday is next week. He's older than I am. 
<laughs> I graduated college six years ago, and he's older than me. He played in what the Yankees organization for you know yeah. double A ball, something like that. I love going back to like the Chris Winkie days. Brandon Wheaton, I, I just love this little wrinkle of college football. The fact that he's leading a team and he's certainly old enough to rent a car. It's a storyline we're going to go back to because this is a North Texas team that I think could become a fan favorite for us here on the pod. For my G5 hero, I'm going to the Nutmeg State because if anyone has pulse, the pulse of Husky Nation, it's me. UConn linebacker Jackson Mitchell, Richfield, Connecticut native, grew up about a half an hour from where I'm from. He was the UConn's leading tackler last season. He was a force on that defense all last year, and he showed it again week zero. He had 16 tackles, one tackle for a loss, one sack. He forced a fumble. He recovered another fumble, and he helped UConn cover the spread. And hopefully Jackson Mitchell had some Frank Pepe's in celebration of his heroic cover. Also, Utah State. I mean, Alabama could just run off tackle left, off tackle right, and score 65 points in this game. No problem. Utah yep. State is, to use a phrase that our producer loves to throw around, they're back seven. It's just like bags of leaves back there. Nobody's moving. Wherever they're set up pre-snap, that's where they're going to be, you know, when the whistle's blown. So Utah State, they've gone from an 11-win team to a team that struggled for about three quarters with UConn. Usually we like to find the spot where the G5 teams can pull up the upset of Power 5. That might have to wait till next week because looking through the schedule, I have a bad feeling that the G5 is going to be some dump truckings this week. I mean, with that, I think you're teeing me up for my best bet. I'm going to go ahead and take Tennessee minus 34 and a half hosting Ball State. You're going to want to get in as soon as you hear this because the, the line's been creeping up from 33. It's probably going to settle over that five touchdown threshold. I'd still play it at 35. Listen, I, I could wax poetic for a while here about why Tennessee's offense is going to be so good, but I'll just run you through some, some of the executive summary here. I'll, I'll say Hennon Hooker was tremendous down the stretch last year, 17 touchdown to two interception ratio in his final six games, which included three games against ranked opponents. Cedric Tillman went from a guy who's look, looking to, you know, be impactful, someone who could contribute in the receiving room to an absolute all SEC level weapon. In his final seven games, he scored 10 touchdowns, Average seven receptions, 125 yards per game. They return four starters on the offensive line. This offense is loaded and probably is going to score north of 50 points in this game against a Ball State defense that, listen, nothing it prepares you for the swift drop from the, the upper ranks of the G5 because in 2020, that team that had a dream season wins the MAC. Since then, this team has been on a downward trajectory. And when you look at them last season, they couldn't get after teams in the backfield, 80th in tackles for loss, 90th in sacks, 94th in passes defensed, 85th against the pass overall in terms of total yardage. And then you look into what they're bringing back, 127th in returning production overall, 127th on defense. Seven of their eight tacklers are gone, three new starters in the secondary. And I mentioned that 2020 team, the heart and soul of that team was Bryce Cosby in their secondary. He was the one who, who coined the phrase Detroit or bust, ended up being prophetic. They they go all the way to the MAC championship game and win it. Now he's trying to hold on with the Raiders and the NFL, you know, uh, a, a former G5 hero, wish him wish him the best. But Ball State's got some really big issues on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I think a 50-burger is in their future, giving it up to the Vols here. And then when you look at the offense, yes, they have a new quarterback. He's been in the program, I think, for five years now, John Paddock. But he's an undersized passer. I'm not really worried about him. And Tennessee, for all of their warts on defense last year, the one thing they could do is kind of the opposite of the Ball State defense. They really get after you in the backfield. They were very disruptive, second in the SEC in tackles for loss, eighth nationally per game, just about eight TFLs per game. And then you look at the personnel. 
Byron Young at linebacker, or I should say on the edge, Jeremy Bank as a true linebacker. These guys teamed up for 23 TFLs last season. They're both back. And I'll say one one final thing before asking your opinion on this game. Josh Heupel is someone who surprised, I think, a few people last year after kind of a slow start to the season. They really heated up in the second part of the season. But when you look at his performance in season openers going back to UCF, 2018, they blew out UConn as a big favorite. 2019, FAMU, same thing, covering the spread. 2020 against Georgia Tech, same thing once again. And last season against Bowling Green, they scored 38 points, went 38-6. to six. They end up not covering that game, but it's clear that they don't mind blowing out some also-rans in their first game of the season. So I'm going to lock this up as my best bet of the week. Love the volunteers here. A lot of enthusiasm on Rocky Top. I think they can get it done. Wish that I was on old Rocky Top down in the Tennessee hills. Ain't no smoggy smoke on Rocky Top. Ain't no telephone bills. And I'm also going to fade a MAC team as my best bet. Although, as since we are the G5 pod, I'm going to do it with a G5 team. Maybe this is recency bias. I'm taking FAU minus three and a half at Ohio. They absolutely worked Charlotte 43 to 13. And maybe this is a little bit of my bias because I'm high on Charlotte. I paid, I played Charlotte's win total over. And yes, I know Chris Reynolds got hurt, but they dominated that Charlotte offense that I thought was going to be very good. That returned a ton of production. FAU outgained Charlotte. 482 to 279. I know this goes against Sucky's article about how teams that have the extra rest and they have film on an opponent actually do have the advantage against the teams that have already played. Ohio obviously hasn't played. FA just did. I know I'm going against that. But again, it's just that figure had a 51% success rate on, on offense. Charlotte was held at just 36%. And Reynolds got hurt, but Charlotte couldn't run the ball either. They had 62 rushing yards, 2.7 yards per carry. Nikosi Perry looked awesome. He was 16 for 22, 256 yards, and a touchdown. He ran one in two. But the biggest thing that I'm optimistic about this is FA ran for 218 yards and three touchdowns on the ground without Johnny Ford, without their leading rusher. And, yes, this is a situation we do have to monitor. Ford had been in and out of the lineup or practice all spring. There was, you know, I even asked Bradley Murphy about it on one of our shows. There was, you know, academic issues. There was discipline issues. You know, he did miss the game for what Willie Taggart called personal reasons. But he was on the sideline. He just wasn't in uniform. It's not like he was kicked off the team. You know, he was there. He just couldn't play. Taggart said he is probable for Saturday. So, to me, I'm expecting him to play. I think he probably got in some trouble, got a one-game suspension, you know, Hopefully he's back on the field, but they proved they could kind of do without him. And I'm just not high on Ohio. They returned just two stars on offense. They were 115th in the country in tarp rating. I'm not high on Curtis Rourke. I don't think he's very good. They finished 10th in the MAC in scoring last season, and the defense really struggled as well. This defense forced just eight turnovers all season. Do you know how hard it is to only force eight turnovers in the MAC? You have guys like Matt McDonald just handing teams' defenses the ball. And they get zero pressure on the quarterback, which is when Nikosi Perry tends to struggle. So if you can't get pressure and you can't force turnovers, I think Perry has absolutely no problem against his defense. I do wish Willie Tiger would play Sun a little less. I don't love the nepotism mixing him in. Let's let Perry keep in rhythm. Taggart's fast, but so is Perry. Let's stick to your quarterback. I think FAU runs it up on Ohio as well. I'll take the Owls and lay the three and a half. Who? Who? Were you a fucking owl? 
I agree with you. Just let's dumb it down here. Of the, you know, the four units, offense and defense for both FAU and Ohio, FAU's proven that they have the best unit on the field, which is their offense. That demonstration carried all the momentum from 2021 into this season. And they're up against, you know, Ohio defense that couldn't stop the run at all last season. They only have five returning starters. Maybe if Ohio made a quarterback change, I'm so low on Curtis Rourke. If they went to C.J. Harris, who's a three-star sitting on their bench, maybe they could get a spark, but I don't see that happening in the first game. So I love that that play right off the bat. All right, so we're going to hop in now for our G5 High Five. It is our round robin of week one. The G5 High Five. Should we high five? High five! I'm going to start with Woo Pig Suey. Colin Wilson, this one's for you. Woo Pig Suey! There you go. How's that? Arkansas laying six. I love the fact that it stayed under that key number of seven. And it's pretty simple in terms of what I'm getting with the Razorbacks here. KJ Jefferson is an established playmaker in the SEC. I I think you can make a pretty strong argument that he's, you know, the second or third best quarterback in this conference, which is saying a lot behind Bryce Young. But when you look at his supporting cast, this was really Sam Pittman's, you know, objective when he came to Fayetteville. He needed to improve the supporting talent, the skill position talent around Jefferson, and he's done it. Gene Hazelwood, Warren Thompson, Keetron Jackson Jr., Matt Landers, Trey Knox. When you go through those guys, that's a five-star, four-star, four-star, three-star, and another four-star, and they're all big. The smallest guy in that group is 6'2". Most of them are 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", against a Cincinnati secondary that's breaking in new players, and many of whom are under six feet. I think this is an opportunity for this offense to really shine. And then I'm not even mentioning Rocket Sanders, who averaged 5.1 yards per carry last year with four starters back on the offensive line. I think this will be a Joe Moore Award finalist offensive line. So I love what I'm getting with the Razorbacks. And it's up against the Cincinnati defense, 115th in returning defensive production. So a lot of new faces. They're going to be really good in their receiving core in the middle, or linebacking core, I should say, in the middle of their defense. But outside of that, they have to really replace some highly impactful playmakers on that side of the ball. And to be honest, when you look through the last few years, Cincinnati has dominated defensively. But they haven't faced a, a running threat of Jefferson's level. Not only is he somebody you can run between the 20s, But when he gets into that red zone, he is that extra guy where the math starts to work for the offensive line. They can run quarterback power. They can run read option. And he's someone who's going to run people over in that second level of the defense. Um, You know, Jefferson was an 87 rank ranking from PFF last year, the best by an Arkansas quarterback since 2015. I, I just love everything about this Arkansas team in this spot. I'm really glad it stayed under that key number of seven. And then I'm going to throw in one extra little tidbit here on Cincy quarterback indecision. When they released their depth chart yesterday, Ben Bryan and Evan Prater, that dreaded or situation, you don't want to go into a hornet's nest that, you know, is going to be Fayetteville in this spot. This fan base has been starving for a double digit win team for years, and this is the team to get it done and to play a nationally ranked game right off the top against a team that made the college football playoff last year. This place is going to be a zoo, not the kind of environment that you want to have questions and playing musical chairs at quarterback so all over the Razorbacks here is there any reason you know to be more bullish on Cincinnati is it just you know out of respect for Fickle and what he's built or am I absolutely on with this bet and you're going to tell me Ionella couldn't agree more I you don't you don't lose the amount of talent since he lost and go into you know an SEC environment with you know you don't even know who your quarterback is so I'm 100% with you I love Arkansas on the spot 
And for my first G5 high five play, I'm actually going to back another SEC team as well. I'm taking Mississippi State minus 14 and a half against Memphis. I think they absolutely truck them. You, you mentioned KJ Jefferson, maybe the second or third best quarterback in the SEC. I think Will Rogers is second. He, he was, led the SEC in yards per game last year, second in touchdowns. Sucky talked about it a lot on his SEC preview. In the previous three times, Mike Leach has had a third-year starter. They won at least nine games and took a big step forward under that third-year quarterback. This is Will Rogers' third year. They returned 17 total starters. They have, they, they, both their second-leading rushers back. I'm sure they don't run the ball, but they're great out of the backfield. Yes, they lose Makai Polk, but they bring back Jaden Wally, who I love. They bring back Austin Williams. They were fourth in the entire country in offensive success rate last season. And obviously all they do is pass the ball. The Memphis defense was 103rd at defending the pass last season. They lose Calvin Austin, wide receiver, and tight end Sean Dykes, who were huge to their passing attack. And yes, Memphis brings back their top two running backs, and they added Mac freshman of the year, Jay Ducker. Good luck running against this Mississippi State defense. Mississippi State's linebackers are nasty. So I don't think Memphis is going to have any success on the ground. And then there's that big old revenge factor. Because Memphis won this game 31-29 last year. But if you look a little bit more, first of all, Memphis was coming off of a tough game against NC State, and they had LSU on deck. Now they have Arizona on deck, so it's not like they have to look for it, and they have the revenge part. In that game, Mississippi State outgained them 468-246. to Low Rodgers threw for 419 yards and three touchdowns. He torched them. Memphis returned a fumble 50 yards for a touchdown. Calvin Austin scored three touchdowns. One was like a weird little screen pass. And he returned a 94-yard punt return. That shouldn't have happened. That the referee signaled for it dead. Austin picked it up between five Mississippi State players standing there doing nothing and took it to the house. So Memphis had no business winning this game or really even being in this game. They were out game two to one. Mike Leach teams are 15-10-2 against the spread as more than two touchdown favorites. They've covered their 5-1-1 one, one in their last seven games as at least two touchdown favorites in non-con play. They are going to run it up. They're going to run it up quick. They're going to throw the ball all over Memphis. And again, you're going now, – now this game is, you know, in Mississippi State. The revenge factor, I think they come out and blow the doors off Memphis. And I do still like Memphis. This is just a bad spot for them. I think Mississippi State crushes them. I'm going to throw it up here. This is not the peace sign. This is two returning starters on that Memphis defense that wasn't even good last year. And I agree. I think in AAC play, they're going to be able to lean on their running game. That could be dynamic. They have a great running back room, but this isn't the spot to do it. I, I, I think also you know, digging into that box score, there, there was a lot of fool's gold there last year, looking at, hey, Memphis beat him last year. Why can't they do it again? Because as you pointed out, they had a lot of fluky plays and they absolutely got torched through the air. So I, I think that's a very strong play. But this is the G5 deep dive. Where are the plays on our G5 teams? All right, here we go. I'm going to hop in. I know technically they're not a G5 team, but I'm going to go New Mexico State here. Uh, you know, certainly in terms of their their history, they've been linked with G5 conferences. So I, I'm going to grandfather them in. The Aggies plus 37 against Minnesota. And for those of you who stayed up through the lightning delay and watched the, you know, 1.30 a.m. conclusion, at least on the East Coast of that game in week zero against Nevada, you were all there for the birth of Gavin Frakes. It's the Gavin Frakes era. 
three-star kid out of Norman, Oklahoma. He looks ridiculous. He looks like um, a, a Madden or a 2K creative player. He's got like this poofy red hair. He looks like a, a total joke. It's like a throwback to, to Carrot Top. But this guy can absolutely play. Like I said, a three-star kid. He only got offers from Ivy League schools. I can't believe his parents were like, all right, you got an offer from Penn, Princeton, Yale. Hey, where are you going? You're going to Las Cruces, New Mexico. Interesting choice. It's because he wants to play at the highest level of college football. 6'4", 215, the ball explodes out of his hand. When he comes in after their starter turned the ball over at will, he was, I mean, I think he had four or five turnovers in that game, basically threw New Mexico State out of it. Then comes in Frakes, 9 for 13, 143 yards and a touchdown. You know, coming off the bench, his first two drives, they scored 10 points. This guy is dangerous and certainly plus 37 points he's dangerous against a Minnesota team that is not explosive. We know P.J. Fleck and, and this offense. We know the cast of characters. Plays of 40 yards or more last year, they were tied with Akron, Duke, Louisiana, Monroe, and Arizona. That's the company that they're keeping in terms of explosiveness. They're plotting offense. And, you know, their star player, you know, Ibrahim is coming off an Achilles injury. I hope that he is as good as he was last year, but not in this game. It's certainly, you know, not uh, unrealistic to expect him to have some rust trying to recover from an injury of that, that kind. And when you look at their full slate in 2021, they scored 41 points once. They scored enough points to cover a number like this one time, and they did it against Northwestern, who was historically bad by Big Ten standards last year. But really the play here for me is all because of the weird starts under P.J. Fleck. Let's just go through the last three seasons. 2021, close win to start the year against Miami, Ohio. They lose against the spread. Then they lose outright to Bowling Green, 14 to 10. Let's go back to 2020. As an 18 and a half point favorite, they lose outright to Maryland. And then in 2019, it got even stranger. A seven point win over South Dakota State, which was in doubt the whole way. And then a three point win as a huge favorite against Georgia Southern slow, slow starts for the Golden Gophers. So when I saw a number north of five touchdowns, I grabbed it. I think it's still out there in the market above 35. Go ahead and grab that now. New Mexico State is feisty with Frakes. I'm, I'm in on the Aggies here. For my next play, I am going to back a G5 team. As you mentioned, it. one of us has to do it. Give me Georgia State plus 13 at South Carolina. Back the SEC, now fade the SEC. I just am so high in this Georgia State team. I love Darren Granger, they're eight and two with him as the main guy, 1,700 yards, 19 touchdowns, just four picks. Plus he added 646 on the ground, three tutters. They returned their top two stud running backs, one of whom I really love in this matchup because they have Tucker Gregg and they have Jamie S. Williams, both of which had over 850 yards and nine touchdowns last year. Williams started his career as a cornerback at South Carolina. He earned SEC All-Freshman honors as a corner. He is a freak athlete. Now he's with Georgia State, returning to South Carolina as a running back. I think he has a monster game on the ground. Georgia State returns four offensive line starters, which will help that running game. And their defense got a ton of pressure on the quarterback last year. They set a school record in sacks, tackles for loss, and turnovers. They returned seven starters on that defense. And South Carolina does return their entire offensive line, but they were horrible last year. So how much can we put in that? South Carolina is kind of a weird team to judge because I'm not big on Spencer Rattler. But he's certainly a big upgrade, so it's kind of interesting to see where they'll be. Defensively, South Carolina obviously well overperformed expectations last year. They led the SEC in turnovers forced on defense. That's going to be hard to replace. Their defense was good against the pass, but that's because teams didn't pass against them. They were torched on the run. They allowed 175 yards per game on the ground. Now this defense, they lose their best player up front in uh, Kingsley Ngagbare. 
who is now on the Packers, and it was their best player in the secondary. South Carolina plays at Arkansas next week, and they have Georgia after that. So this could be a sleepy spot for them, knowing they have two big SEC games on deck. This is the game I mentioned where I would not be surprised if you flip on, you look on the ESPN ticker, and Georgia State is up six in the second quarter. So I'm taking Georgia State. I'm taking the 13 points. Give me the Panthers. The Sun Belt East is for my money the best g5 division in all of you know g5 lands and this is the little program that could sean elliott has done such an incredible job three straight bowl trips they won seven of eight down the stretch last year so this isn't like a flash in the pan projection oh they got you know some portal guys from the power five no no this team has already proven that they can beat the brakes off the teams they crushed ball state in the bowl game so i think they're going to come in with a lot of confidence south carolina shockingly really if you told me at the beginning of last year that they'd come into this year with some pressure and some expectations on their shoulders i would i would have been shocked but beamer has people buzzing in columbia so they have to come out and they have to play really well right away and i agree you know rattler from a personality standpoint when things didn't go well at oklahoma he wasn't someone to get it turned around when when things were going great the year prior you know when they're crushing florida but he's someone that if you can get on him early i think that the pressure is going to slide squarely onto his shoulders i'm not sure if i'll play the full game but i'll probably play the first half i, I think it could be juicy in terms of the money line to be leading at halftime in that game so i think that's how i'll go ahead and play it all right to wrap up our g5 high five i have an under I think early in the season, I think some of these numbers are inflated, but I was surprised that Boise State, Oregon State was over that eight touchdown threshold. At sitting at 57, I really like the under here between the Broncos and the Beavers. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, to be honest, because Boise State is 18th in returning production on defense. Half of the defense made one of the preseason all Mountain West teams. Spencer Danielson as a defensive coordinator is proven to be a hell of a coach. I mean, last year, when you go down some of the key metrics, and this one I absolutely love in terms of cashing unders, ninth in red zone touchdown percentage. So they play a little bend but don't break defense, and they can stop people when they get into inside their 20. Oregon State, on the other hand, they're run, 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 run some more. 20th most run-heavy team in the nation last year. And they lose B.J. Baylor, who was their workhorse, 1,300 yards, 13 TDs. I think they're going to do it a little bit running back by committee in this game. And then when you look at what they have in the passing game, 92nd through the air. So I'm just a little confused where these big plays are, are supposed to come from. And then when you look at Boise State, they played under this number 57 in seven straight games in 2021. It was one of the most lukewarm offenses really in Boise State history. And Bachmeyer is back at quarterback. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but I think they're going to do it with the short passing game. They don't have Khalil Shakir anymore. He's gone. So the only big play threat between these two teams is gone in this game. So I really like, you know, the under 57 here. I mean, you know, you never have to convince me to fade Hank Bachmeyer. Where's the explosiveness coming in this game? Unless Bachmeyer throws a pick six. So that wraps up our G5 high five round robin, which brings us to, at least for my money, my favorite part of the podcast. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. The G5 underdog Moneyline Parlay. When you put these together, I'm going to tease it right now, you can get close to 10 to 1 on your money. I'll go ahead and start, and it's a big swing. But you know what? Sometimes you got to be a little bold, and there's no better time to be bold than week one in college football. Going with the South Florida Bulls at plus 350 to beat BYU at home. 
Listen, only five schools in the entire country are top 15 in returning offensive and defensive production. USF is one of those schools. They bring in Gary, not Jerry, Gary Bohannon at quarterback to give them a steady hand. He was, you know, an integral part of the Big 12 champs last year in Waco. He's a great locker room guy. The keys have been handed to him in a critical season here in Tampa for the Bulls. But the real reason I'm on this, it's all about Bob Shoup, a defensive coordinator, two-time defensive coordinator of the year, fielded incredible defenses in Mississippi State and Penn State. And now you got BYU traveling a long way to play in the muggiest, hottest, stickiest weather that possibly can be served up. It's going to be about 95 degrees to kick off, humidity in the 80s, 90s, thunderstorms in the area as of right now. And this is a BYU team that loses their bell cow in Tyler Algier. So it's all on Jaron Hall, who I think is a good quarterback, but much like, you know, Will Levis in the SEC, I think it's overstated how good he is. Because when you look at the numbers, you know, you start to nod your head and you're impressed. But when you dig through, you look at, oh, he played Idaho State and Virginia, put up huge numbers in those two games. You take those away, how did he do in the rest of his games? I think it was eight full starts after that. 13 TDs to five picks, 242 yards per game through the air. That's it. I'm just not sure with more of the offensive load on his shoulders, even though he returns his top three pass catchers, I'm not sure he gets it done in this spot. And USF has a lot of fight at home. They were 4-0 as home dogs last year, and they got within five of nationally ranked Houston in the closing minutes and within 10 of Cincinnati, went to the college football playoff also in the last five minutes of that game. So they were not getting blown out by the better teams on their schedule down the stretch, and I think they're certainly going to get up for a game like this. So I'm going to go with South Florida plus 350 to get this money line parlay kicked off. I'm going to another team we talked about a lot in the preview shows. I'm taking Southern Miss plus 140. They're another one of those teams where you have to just throw out everything they did last year. They lost like four different quarterbacks by in the first five weeks. They were literally playing the Wildcat last year with Frank Gore Jr. Ty Keyes is back. He was really highly touted out of high school. You mentioned he was, wasn't he Mr. Mississippi or something like the Gatorade Play of the Year? SEC offers Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Oregon, Nebraska. Maybe we should have gone to Nebraska. But they bring back Frank Gore, who now can actually play running back. They bring back their top three leading receivers. Their defense returns seven starters. They finished best in the conference against the pass last year. They were 24th in the entire country. Southern Miss has the third best TARP rating in, in the nation this year. And then Liberty on their side ranks just 90th in TARP. They bring back just three starters on offense, all of whom are on the offensive line, three on defense, and they lose Malik Willis, who you could argue there's maybe not a single player more important to a team than he was to that team with all he did. He was their entire offense. Speaking of old people, Charlie Brewer takes over as quarterback. He's probably 30. He's in his sixth season in college football, his third different team. Plus 140 is a pretty reasonable number at home a nice nice home dog to start the slate for a team i like against a team replacing basically their entire team you don't just waltz into hattiesburg and expect an easy game so give me the eagles this is a liberty team that lost to ul monroe last year with malik willis that to me sets the floor and that floor is real low i agree a little bit of recency bias thinking back to that year when they played that great bowl game against coastal carolina all the hype for malik willis this is a team, I understand it's you freeze, but it's not just plug and play. And when you're plugging in Charlie Brewer, that's like, you know, putting in a USB port and it's like not compatible with your computer. Reformatting. Let's get it going. Like, let's hit this 10 to 1. All right. It's important now for us to run through all of our picks. So I'm going to do a little housekeeping here. Ionello likes FAU minus three and a half. 
I'm on the Tennessee Volunteers minus 34 and a half. For our G5 high five round robin, we're going to start with Arkansas minus six and a half, New Mexico State plus 37, Boise State under 57, Mississippi State minus 14 and a half, and Georgia State plus 13. A reminder that's our money line underdog parlay of South Florida and Southern Miss pays plus 980 at MGM. You can also find it out in the market a little bit north of 10 to 1. So closing thoughts here, I know, were there any games that were just on the cutting room floor for you that almost made it onto this list? I like Arizona getting six and a half at San Diego State. The Colorado State number against Michigan, it was sitting at about 26, 27 for weeks, you know, in the lead up to the season. And now it's steamed up to 30 and a half, 31. We just don't know with this Colorado State team, but there's talent. They got a four-star quarterback. They have a really nice receiving core. I'm a little bit intrigued by this game because I know that Michigan has some drama in their locker room with their quarterback situation. They're going to let McNamara start one and then McCarthy start another one. Colorado State could lose this game by 17, and I wouldn't be shocked, and they could lose by 45, and I'd be kind of in the same emotional state. I'm, I'm interested that more points are being thrown towards an offense that potentially could have some pop if they're anything like those Norvell offenses at Nevada, and they have the skill to do it. They're a live dog in this game. What do you think about the Rams? I maybe wouldn't hate the over here. If you, if you like Colorado State's offense to have some pop, because my worry with playing the Rams with the points is if Michigan are, is using these two games as a tryout, do they just let McNamara ball out the whole game? If he's fighting for his job, he might be throwing it deep in the fourth quarter to try to outplay McCarthy next week. It's 61 and a half. I'm checking that box. I think that's our official bonus pick here of week one. Over 61 and a half, Colorado State, Michigan, a noon kickoff to get to, you know, your college football Saturday started headed in the right direction. For our listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, very shortly thereafter, we'll be dropping the extensive week one preview. That's with Colin and Stucky. We're going to be mixing in Brett McMurphy throughout. We'll also have the Big Bets on Campus live show on Saturday. Be sure to tune in for that. For Mike Ionello, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been the Group of Five Deep Dive under the Big Bets on Campus banner. Happy to be back. Happy week one is here. Best of luck with your bets. Bye.